Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be starting in verse 17, going through verse 27. We'll be focusing in on verse uh, 26. I, I, once I realized this week was uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, I wondered, oh man, should I, should I pause this uh, topic of unity that we've been on for the past couple of weeks? Should I, should I you know, switch and, and talk about sanctity of life and how we should, you know, stand up and how, how we can uh, make a difference in, in both the, the lives of the unborn and the lives of the born who are, are hated and marginalized and um, oftentimes even killed? Should I do that? And uh, to me, the, the answer was just pretty clear as, as we've been studying unity. No, I shouldn't pause just to talk about sanctity of life because I, I want to pose to you, what good are we if we don't have unity? Well, what good are we to the lost and the marginalized if we are marginalizing one another and, and not accepting one another and showing love to one another in a way that Christ would have us do? And so I believe that even as we continue on this topic of unity, we are really um, helping this charge forward in sanctity of life, that we can bend together, that we can be a, a, a force of God's goodness and grace uh, to those who so desperately need it. So we're going to continue on unity uh, this Lord's Day. So just reviewing, I, I, I'm not going to go too in-depth. I just want you to know a little bit of, of where we've been to kind of uh, put us uh, on firm ground here. We've been talking about what causes disunity and, and you know, different, different things like that. This is, I guess, one way of posing it. What causes disunity? Why, why might we and other churches and, and families that are, are you know, ha- filled with Christians, and why do we have this disunity? And I, I've got three reasons that I want to give you uh, today. Most of this is uh, by way of review. Uh, first is maybe we don't realize what a big deal unity is and how tragic and horrific disunity is in a body of Christ in, believe, in between believers. We looked at it. I'm just going to list this for you. Disunity keeps believers from maturing, being built up, or strengthened. Uh, disunity grieves the Holy Spirit. It gives the, the devil an opportunity to tear us apart. It makes God look less glorious than he really is. It keeps the church from growing numerically. It hurts our witness. It belittles the unity Christ explicitly tells us that he died for. Those are just uh, six reasons there that should, should weigh heavy on us. And again, if, if none of those are enough to make us want unity, then that leads me to number seven. If we still walk in disunity, it may show that there are unbelievers in our midst. It, it makes sense that believers and un, uh, unbelievers uh, wouldn't be able to have this type of unity. And the Bible uh, talks very clearly about if we don't have love, we don't have Christ. We don't have the Spirit of God in us. We have not been born again. And so that maybe, maybe we allow disunity, continue in disunity, because we don't realize how big of a deal it is. And we looked at... That, that possibly another reason that, that we allow this disunity and have this disunity is, is maybe we're proud. You guys might remember from verses 1 through 3, it kind of gave a, uh, a progression of how we would be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So we would be eager to have this unity if we had humility. You guys remember that verse, uh, I guess it's verse 2, 
says we're to do this with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So maybe we don't have that, that initial humility that it takes to have this eagerness for the bond of peace, this, this willingness to lay our wants, our desires down, because maybe, maybe we're proud. And I, I kind of talked about it some last week. Oftentimes, th- this pride leads us to believe that the church is about me. The church is about me. I walk in, and people should serve me. The music should make me happy. Uh, you know, the, all, all the things that are said should, should suit me. The way people talk to me and interact with me should suit me. And we, again, again, we see that that's, that's just pride. And tied to that, again, last week we said, well, maybe we're, we allow that to happen because we don't realize that we've been joined to the body of Christ. There is no such thing as an individual believer. The Bible says that, that when we come into Christ, we, we are part of his body. Christ is the head, and we are members of that body. So maybe we don't realize that we're all joined one to another, and that's why we allow disunity to happen. Maybe we don't realize that, that when we get saved, we become a part of the body. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts, and those gifts were meant to build up one another in love. Those are all things we looked at last week. Maybe we don't realize those things. And today, I, I guess I'm giving you a, a fourth reason. Today, what I want to look at is, is maybe, maybe the reason we and, and Christians uh, have disunity, you know, in our church, in our families, uh, with other Christians at work, and just small groups, whatever. Maybe the reason we have disunity is we don't handle our anger correctly. Maybe we don't handle our anger correctly, and that causes disunity. I probably don't have to tell you this, but uncontrolled feelings and, and actions that are spurred by anger are one of the most devastating things among Christians and churches and families, and, and, and you name it. It is one of the most devastating factors when it is uncontrolled, when it's not handled correctly. You think about it, anger can make us say things that we would normally never say, right? I can't believe I said that. I was just angry. Anger makes us do things that we would never normally do, right? If love unifies us and bonds us, then anger tears us apart and puts a wedge between our relationships. Proverbs 29:22 says a man of wrath stirs up strife and one given to anger causes much transgression. Galatians 5:14 and 15 says you shall love your neighbor as yourself but if you bite and devour one another watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Hebrews 12:15 says see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. And as we'll even see today in our passage, uh, Ephesians uh, 4.27, it says that the anger dealt with improperly actually gives an opportunity to the devil. There are few things that are as devastating to a church, to, to a group of believers, to families, than anger that is not dealt with properly. So I want to say this clearly, just, just so, so we get it. 
If, if you have disunity in your life, this, these continual patterns of disunity, it may be that you're not handling anger God's way. You're not handling it faithfully, correctly. And so that's exactly what we're going to look at today. I want to go ahead and mention, uh, just because I, I like to, to give um, honor where honors due. Uh, this week, one of the books I used, I used a bunch, but one that was really helpful for me was Anger by Gary Chapman. I don't agree with 100% of what he said, but I feel like a lot of my points and uh, some of the practical matters uh, were, were helped out by that. And so I, I would recommend that book to you. Take it with a grain of salt that there may be things uh, you don't agree with. But in general, Anger by Gary Chapman um, is an incredibly helpful book, uh, I thought, on this matter. And so that's what we're going to look at today maybe disunity is caused by anger. I, I would say it is. Uh, it, it is just a part of life, and that's why God is so passionate about us dealing with anger correctly. So let's pray and ask God that, that he would help us with this matter. Father God, so many of us, even Christians, are angry about so many things. And Lord, we desperately need, we desperately want to know what to do with our anger. Lord, we want to know how it is that you would have us handle it. God, I pray that, that as we look at anger and as we diffuse this, this bitterness that might be stored up in our hearts, God, that you would restore relationships. Restore families, restore friendships, God, and build this church up, Lord. We need you for this. God, I pray all this, trusting in you and what your Son has accomplished on the cross for our unity and for our peace. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to make a statement uh, that, that may be surprising, it may not. Um, I, I don't know how, how, how versed you are in God's Word and, and different principles, but I'm going to make a statement that, that seems contrary uh, to a lot of what we hear. Christians, born-again believers, truly indwelled by the Spirit, are able to get angry and still be faithful to God and keep unity. Christians are able to get angry and still be faithful to God and still keep unity between believers. Again, uh, a lot of the world, a lot of people want to say, no, any form of anger is, is always wrong. Uh, but but I, I make that statement to you uh, because we see from God's word here that that may not be the case, that anger is always wrong. Maybe there is actually a, a, a place for anger. Maybe there's actually a purpose for anger when it's handled correctly. Maybe there is a way to glorify God and keep our unity even when anger happens in our lives. I'm going to give you two reasons, uh, basically, why I know that to be true, that we can be angry and still be faithful to God and still keep unity. Uh, the first reason is Jesus, our Lord and Savior, sometimes got angry, didn't he? A certain uh, table-flipping incident probably comes to all of your minds, but there, there are other um, incidences, and we'll even look at those today. But we understand that he was always entirely faithful and always kept the proper unity that should be kept there. Well, how do I know that? How do I know that he was entirely faithful? 
he never sinned. <laughs> he, he was without sin. He was like us. Uh, had, he took on flesh, still fully God, yet without sin, the Bible tells us. So if Jesus got angry and did it without sin, then it must be possible for us as well. The second reason I have, I kind of already mentioned, the text here that we're going to look at today tells us that it is possible to be angry and not sin. He says, uh, be angry and do not sin. There it is, pretty explicit. Um, my mom was talking to me last night. I, I was at a wedding. My, my, uh, one of my cousins got married, um, and my mom was asking me, so what are you preaching tomorrow? And I was like, well, I'm preaching on anger, and it's kind of weird because I'm actually preaching on how we can be angry, but that's kind of scary because in general, anger uh, does not have a beneficial force in, in our uh, families and, and, you know, marriages and relationships. So I hate to, you know, give people a license to have anger. And she says, well, but you got to say it because there it is in God's word. Be angry and do not sin. So there must be a way that people can be angry and not sin. I was like, I know, Mom, I'm preaching it tomorrow. I've already studied, you know. But anyway, that's just how it goes. <laughs> She's going to be embarrassed that I mentioned that because I'm sure she will listen to this. Anyways. There is a way to be angry and not sin. Uh, I've already kind of quoted for you our, our main verse, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. But I want to give you the, the full picture here from verse uh, 17 down to 27 because I, I want you to see uh, the foundation. What is this idea of being angry and not sinning sitting on? What is it built on? So if you'd follow with me. Starting in verse 17, Ephesians 4, verse 17, Paul continues, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Gentiles there, he's just using a common word for the pagans, those who do not trust Christ. He goes on, verse 18, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So I'm going to pause there, and then we'll continue on. This, this section of the passage is Paul laying out a, a pretty common uh, pattern in, in the Bible. He's saying, look guys, you were once, uh, you know, living in the futility of your mind. You, you were once ignorant to spiritual and moral matters, but that's no longer you. you. You've since learned Christ. You've learned the gospel. You have been made new, he says. You have a, a new self. And so if you are no longer that person, that person is dead and gone, then, then put it off. Stop walking as the Gentiles, as the pagans, as the unbelievers do. Quit doing those things. Those things are, are futile. They're foolishness. Why would you continue in them? And then he says, we need to be renewed in our minds, in the spirit of our minds, and to put on the new self. So we put off that old way that, that belongs to our former manner of life, and we put on this, this new way. And how can we possibly do that? Well, because we are a, a new self created after the likeness of God. 
When you become a Christian, you become a new creation. That's what it means to be born again. You, you are born with a new life within you. And so he's saying, look, you, you guys, you have a new heart, a new mind. You, you, have a, you are this new creation. Live like it. Live like it. So the basis for what Paul is going to say in, in the following places is God has graciously changed you. He has graciously pulled you out of your futility and given you new life. Don't, don't walk in your old ways. You, you have the power. You should, in fact, you must walk in these new ways. So that's the foundation for what we're going to see in verses 25 through 27. We're not going to look much at 25, but it's there. So we're reading with me, verse 25. Therefore, so I, I said all that, that's the basis. And he says now, therefore, because of all of that in verses 17 through 24, therefore, having put away falsehood, again, that's the old way of life that causes this disunity in this old man, put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You see that, that body theme coming back in again. And then verses 26 and 27, this is what we're going to focus in on today. Be angry and do not sin. This is that even a Christian, right? A new, new creation. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So as I've mentioned before in, in the previous sermons, the whole book of Ephesians that we're, we're reading this out of, studying out of, uh, has one of its main overarching themes is this theme of unity, this theme of oneness, of being this body and loving one another and building one another up. So what Paul is, is telling us to do here, the, these new actions that we're to put on, these old actions we're to put off, are, are in some way uh, uh, coinciding with that, that topic of unity. And so it's really not hard to see it, um, really on, on either of these, how these could cause disunity. You, you just take falsehood there. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. It's really not difficult. Again, we're not going to talk about this much. It's really not difficult to, to see how lying to one another, that means half-truths even, exaggerations, embellishing our stories, misleading, misrepresenting the truth to one another, it's not hard to imagine how that could cause disunity. That's a part of the old nature, to be a, a liar. But now, we, we are people who speak truth. So he says, put that off. Put off falsehood. Put on speaking truth. For we are members of one another. So that's one way to keep unity. If you, if you want to go deeper into that, we can someday, but that's not the, the, the topic I'm going to focus on. We're going to shift to anger. What about anger? What about anger? How, how does that correlate with our old man that we're to put off and our new man that we're to put on? I mean, we may even wonder, what exactly is anger? You know, it, it may be one of those things that's kind of hard to define for us. What, what is anger? You know, anger is an actual thing. Everyone uh, feels this uh, emotion, and that's exactly what it is. is uh, anger is just a strong negative emotional and physical response to a perceived injustice. Okay, that's my, my working definition. 
Anger is, is simply a strong negative emotional and physical response to a perceived injustice. So you think about it, you know, someone, someone does something that makes you angry, and you have this emotional response. All of a sudden, your, your emotions are all mixed up. You could have been happy two seconds before, but now you're angry. You're, you're, you're hurt, you're, you're frustrated, you're furious, you're annoyed. It's this emotional response, but it's actually more than that. We now know through science and things like that that it's also a physical response that our bodies have. Uh, when we get angry, when we see an injustice, perceive an injustice, there are certain hormones that are released in our brains. Our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up. You, you guys know the saying, I was seeing red. You know, he made me so mad. I was seeing red. Why do you think you were seeing red? Because your heart rate just went through the roof and your blood pressure went way up. That is why you're seeing red. A f actual physical thing happened in you with this anger. I, I tell you that because uh, it might be weird that I've just explained all that. I tell you that because this is a built-in process uh, in our humanity, that, that we have a response both emotionally and physically when we perceive injustice. So you say, well, why, why do we have that? Why is that built into our humanity? Well, I'll tell you why. I believe that anger, this emotional and physical response to injustice, is actually a good gift that God has given us. Anger is a good gift that God has given us. If you stop listening now, you and your relationships are in big trouble, by the way. So hold on with me. Uh, I'm not saying that all anger expressed in all different ways is a good gift. I'm saying at its root, anger uh, is a good gift. And the reason is God has a purpose for anger. God has a purpose for anger. Anger is actually a good thing, can be, anger can be a good thing if it spurs us on to take redemptive action against that injustice. Anger can be a good thing when it spurs us on to action against that Injustice. We think about abortion. We just watched this video. I have in my, um, you know, bulletin here the list of, of how many millions of children have been uh, killed by their parents. They, they, they chose to do this. And we think about, again, I, I'm not trying to, to knock the people who had the abortion. I think of this whole system that says, you know what? It, it's your body. Deal with it whatever you want. Don't worry about if there's another life in you. This whole system that says, oh, it's, it's not really a human yet. Don't worry about if the Bible says it, it's a human already in the womb. Don't, don't worry about these things. And, and there's this whole system that should, should make us angry. That the, the defenseless, the poor, the needy are taken advantage of, and even with, with abortion, killed It should make us angry, and it should spur us on to redemptive action. This is kind of like uh, pain, right? You say, well, pain's not a good thing. It is if your hand's in a fire, right? You better pull that thing out, or it will consume you if you don't pull your hand out of the fire. It is a good gift from God that we feel pain. In the same way, it is a good gift from God that we feel anger. Without anger... I would likely be too lazy to do anything about injustices when I see them. If, if I didn't get angry, I would li likely never do anything to help when I see injustice occur. 
So it can be a good thing if it leads us to redemptive action. I believe that's why God has given it to us. That's why it's not only emotional, but physical. You say, well, then what's the problem with anger? If God built it in me, man, I'm just, just living out this emotion and this physical reaction God's given me. That's why I'm angry all the time. <laughs> well, why does anger so often cause problems, you might ask? Well, because of sin, because of the fall, we're not nearly as in control of our emotions as we should be. That means we, we feel inordinate amounts of anger toward things, that we should not feel that much anger. It means that we sometimes feel anger about the wrong things, and it means that we oftentimes react in anger in the wrong ways, and we ruin, we ruin that redemptive purpose that God has given it. In fact, we do the opposite of redeem when we respond in anger. So there's a purpose in anger, this redemptive action, but the problem is we often short-circuit God's redemptive plan in anger. <clears throat> So before we even look at what uh, faithful anger is, I want to tell you what sinful anger is. Because I, I just want to make it so clear uh, that, that anger in, in many, many forms is not okay. So what's sinful anger? I would say the first sign of sinful anger is it's all about me. Sinful anger is all about me. What's happened to me? What injustice has happened to me? How have I been annoyed? How has this put me out? This didn't go the way I wanted it to. And I hope you can see, you know, how that's, how that's wrong. The, the Bible says that love does not insist on its own way. The Bible teaches that we are to count others more significant than ourselves. We're to, to look out for the interests of others. We're to treat others as we want to be treated. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. We're to please our neighbor for his good. And, and oftentimes, it is sinful anger when the, the real problem is, what you did just bothered me. You may not have actually committed a sin. You may not have actually even done anything wrong. I just don't like it. It didn't serve my purposes. It didn't puff up my ego the way I would like it to. And it's sinful anger. I have so many stories I could tell right there of my own <laughs> experience of this type of sinful anger. Of times people have stepped on my ego, said something that, that didn't make me look good, and I, I lashed back in anger. And that is sinful. Sinful anger is all about me. Number two, another sign of sinful anger is it tears others down. Sinful anger tears others down. We, we talked about this a moment ago, that God has built anger into us, and that it actually it can be a good thing because it should spur us on to have a redemptive effect. But oftentimes... In our anger, we only tear others down. We, we tear down the person that's offended us. We tear down anyone that might agree with that person that's offended us. And we tear down all these relationships. I mean, you think about it, this is oftentimes what happens. You know, we, some, something makes us angry, and, and our emotions are all askew, our blood pressure's through the roof, and we fire back. Guess what? 
Fire does not put out fire, and it does not work. It tears down. I, I admit that I am often guilty of this one as well. Uh, I think of just times, you know, someone says something to me that, that I don't like, or I might even think is unjust, and I just snap right back at them. I feel like uh, my family is uh, badly gifted in this way, that we're pretty quick-witted, <laughs> and so our anger really pierces hard, and it is a curse. And uh, so my wife and I have had this conversation many times that, like, it's not okay to just quickly fire back. Because anger is sinful when it tears others down. You think about it. You know, how did that argument go? Did did it take a—were you guys just happy with each other? You know, it smoothed out, or did it take a long time to build that relationship back up again? Did, did you spend the next 30 minutes apologizing for all the terrible things you said to them <laughs> while working out uh, or an unrelated situation even because you were just angry? Sinful anger tears others down. Finally, this is just uh, the last point I'll give you. I'm sure there are more. Sinful anger is held onto and becomes bitterness. Sinful anger is held onto and becomes bitterness. That is not the role, the purpose, or the place that anger is supposed to have in our lives. Um, I like how uh, Solomon put it, Ecclesiastes 7, 9. He said, anger lodges in the heart of fools. Anger lodges in the heart of fools. You hear that word lodges? Anger resides, it inhabits, it stays in the heart of fools. That's not what anger is supposed to do. Anger is supposed to spur us on to, 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 you know, redemptive action towards injustices, but we we oftentimes hold on to that anger. We let it fester. You think about that fester. It rots away in us, and and it rots us with it. We replay it over and over in our minds. We replay it to anyone else who will listen to what happened to us. We think about, oh man, I wish I'd have said this to them. You know, here's what I'm going to say next chance I get. If they ever do it again, here's what I'm going to do. We hold on to our anger, and it becomes bitterness. You know, it's kind of ironic, because in some sort of sick way, we believe that by holding on to our anger, we're somehow hurting them when it's really tearing us apart. It may be hurting them. In fact, uh, it does. this, This bitterness tears them apart. It tears everyone else around us apart as well. I love how uh, John Piper put this. I listened to a message he had on on anger. I forget what passage he was even preaching on. I'm going to paraphrase this, okay? He says this, anger is like adrenaline. Anger is like adrenaline. It, It is a natural reaction to some trigger of danger or excitement or something, and it serves a good purpose, right? Fight or flight, you're, you're, whatever, I need to go into action because of this, this bad thing that's going on. He says this, though, but if you allow adrenaline to continue in your life, it will kill you. I know this as a person who uh, made it through a lot of seminary on caffeine. It is not good to run life on adrenaline. Uh, you will wear out your, adrenal, or your adrenal glands. You'll wear out your heart. You'll wear out your brain. It will eventually kill you. If your body is malfunctioning and constantly shooting adrenaline, you are in big trouble. He says anger is exactly the same way. 
It comes into our lives. It is a natural reaction to some stimuli. But if we let it stay in our lives, it will eat us alive. It will kill us, and it will hurt everyone else around us. Anger was never meant to be held on to. Anger was never meant to become bitterness, and so it is sinful anger if it remains in our hearts. Anger lodges in the heart of fools. But that's exactly why the Bible says things like, love keeps no record of wrongs, right? You're not just stacking up this record of what people have done against you. Hebrews 12, 15 says, see to it that no root of bitterness springs up. We're not supposed to have this bitterness. We were never meant to hold on to our anger. So that's sinful anger. This is, this is anger that's all about me. I would hate to uh, put my life on a scale of how often I'm angry about things that are about me versus the alternative. Sinful anger tears others down, and sinful anger is held on to and becomes bitterness. Again, I'm sure there are more ways anger can be sinful, but those are the ones that, that God led me to in His Word and just through thinking about it. But that, that's sinful anger. That's not what this verse is about, right? It says, be angry and do not sin. So, so what is it uh, that, that makes anger not sinful? What is it that makes anger faithful? Well, it is super complicated, uh, or it can be in, in practice. In actual practice, it can be super complicated. But I'm going to try to simplify it as best I can, what faithful anger is. So first... Faithful anger is about God. Faithful anger is about God. We said sinful anger is all about me, entirely about me. But, sin, but faithful anger is about God. I'm not sure if I just mixed up my words, faithful and sinful, but you got me, I hope. Sinful anger is about me. Faithful anger is about God. Believers are absolutely supposed to get angry at the things that God gets angry at. Believers are to, to hate evil, it says in Romans 9, or no, 12. Romans 12, it says we're to hate evil. We're, we're supposed to be angry at evil. Believers are to be agents of good and for God's glory. And so we're to protect those who are hurt. We're to protect people against injustices. So the proper trigger for our anger shouldn't be, I didn't get my way. My ego kind of hurt from that. Faithful anger should be aroused in us when God is made uh, to look less glorious, when God's name is maligned in some way, when God's commands are sinned against, when God's plan is trampled upon. That's when we should get angry. But tell me, when you're driving down the road, someone cuts you off, are you angry for God's glory? Oh, that person is just, you know, making God look foolish. No. It's probably not the case. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I can't make that blanket statement, but most likely that's not the case. Man, if only, if only, if only we were as passionately against evil as we are as passionately against people making us unhappy, not doing our way, not making us look good. Faithful anger 
is worried about God's glory. I would even say it, it is worried about the good of others, right? Um, we have uh, police officers in our midst. We have, you know, teachers in our midst. It should make you angry when one person does evil to another person, and, uh, or even if it's done to you, the evil done there. There is a faithful anger, but it is more about God than it is about us. Secondly, faithful anger builds others up. We said that sinful anger just tears down. It says, you know what? Put on my gloves or take them off either one. I'm coming out swinging because you've made me angry, and I'm going to do whatever it takes uh, to, to, to vent this anger. But faithful anger builds others up. It has a purpose, right? A redemptive plan uh, that God has given anger is that it build others up. This can happen in so many different ways, but again, we, you know, we see someone sinning, do, doing wrong, and, and we, we say, oh, that's, they shouldn't be doing that. But we should actually be seeking to build them up, not tear them down for their sin. What good does that do? I could give so many examples of this again from my my own life there is a faithful love that is concerned about the other that is concerned about god's glory that is concerned about uh the, the the unity of a family the unity of a church and so it seeks to build the other up it spurs us to do this third Faithful anger is given over to God. I, I could, I'm not going to say faithful anger just forgets it happened. No, no, no. Faithful anger gives it to God. It casts its cares upon him because he cares for us. That's what faithful anger does. Like we talked about a moment ago with John Piper, uh, his quote, it, it's not to be held on to or it will kill us. We've got to give it to God. We see uh, in, in today's verses, it says, uh, be angry and do not sin. This is verse 26. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, that's not necessarily talking about a literal 24-hour or 12-hour. You say, well, if it's like six o'clock, you know, I've got like seven minutes to, to, you know, get rid of this anger. It's not what it's talking about. It's just saying, don't let your anger last for a long period of time. As quickly as you can take care of that anger, get rid of it. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Trying to think if I should say things. I'll get in trouble. All right, I'll keep on moving. Be angry and do not sin. We, we, we give it over to God. Ephesians 4.31, we'll get here in the following weeks. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We, we don't hold on to anger. We do not have the right to hold on to anger. And if we hold on to anger, it will hurt ourselves, it will hurt others, it will hurt our relationships and our unity. We're going to talk more about that one in the coming weeks. We'll also talk about forgiveness. And so that, that'll be a big part of uh, that sermon as well. But to summarize, faithful anger, and we're going to get more practical here. I'm sorry I'm moving through these so quickly. We're going to get a little more practical, but to summarize, faithful anger 
is, is more about God than it is about me. It's more about the other people that are hurt and the injustice done than it is about my pride or, or my desires. It builds others up, and it is given over to God. It is placed on God, this anger. And you see here, this type of anger has the right focus. My, my focus is on the glory of God. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Even anger, have it for the glory of God. So make it about Him. Be, be angry about only the things He would be angry about. And we see here that it serves its God-given purpose. It, it builds up, and it's released within God's given timeline. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We, we give it over to God. So practically, how can we make sure we're not sinning in our anger? Okay, cool. Don't make it about me. You know, I, I don't know. It, it's just a, a tough set of things to do. Okay, don't, don't do those three. Do these three. Uh, not the sinful, but the faithful. How do I do it? So I'm just going to give you, uh, I think it's five steps that we can do. These are biblical, but they're also incredibly practical ways that we can be angry and not sin. And we can be faithful to God even in our anger. We can keep unity even when things make us angry. So here is the first practical step that we need to do in our anger. If you make it to this step, you're doing really good, by the way. The first one is pause rather than react in anger. Yeah, that's hard to do when you're angry. I get it. I get it. Love is patient. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. These are things that you're capable of doing. I promise you. You can, instead of lash out, respond in anger, respond in fury, you can pause rather than react in anger. Again, remember, this is, this is not just a you thing. This is an, an inbuilt human thing that your emotions do this, your, your physiology does this, your heart rate does this. It's not the best time to respond. If, if you respond in your anger, it is probably not going to build up the other person. So you're pausing. Now, I just want to say this may sound contradictory to the don't let the sun go down in your anger. It, it's not. It, it, is, it is fulfilling the first part, that is, be angry and do not sin. You're still going to deal with it. You're still going to deal with your anger, just not by pouring it out on the other person. We need time right? As humans, remember your humanity, we need time to let our emotions and our heart rate and our blood pressure go down. Maybe you need to, you know, go for a little walk. Maybe you just need to go into another room and just pray for a minute. Just let this go down a little bit. Galatians 5.19 says that it is fleshly. It's one of the works of the flesh to have fits of anger, Fits of anger. That's, that's the person that quickly retaliates in anger. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 again says, Love is patient. Proverbs 14, 29 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. He exalts foolishness. He has a hasty temper. Proverbs 29, 11, A fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. <laughs> Your spirit is, is, is fired up in you, and the fool gives full vent to that fire and that anger. 
but a wise man quietly holds it back. So when we are angry, we notice we're angry. By the way, we've, we've already said it's possible to be angry and not sin, so you don't have to be ashamed of the fact that you're angry in that moment. You just need to realize it, and you need to not react to it in that moment. Maybe you can just calmly remove yourself from the situation for a moment. Maybe you can even say to them, if it's appropriate, I'm angry right now. I'm just going to take a minute. I'll, I'll be back. This is much more healthy than, than firing back, I promise. When we're angry, we don't just react in that anger. We pause. And that pause will allow us to do this second thing, this second step. We need to find the source of our anger. You need to find the source of your anger. It is amazing after an argument when I think back, okay, where did all this even start? Okay, he said this to me, and, and that, okay, that happened. I was like, man, that was such a stupid thing for me to even get angry about. You know, I could have so easily just, just let that slide. And that's what this pause allows us to do. It allows us to see, is this sinful anger that's all about me? Is this sinful anger that's really just about my preferences, my desires, my ego? You know, maybe, maybe I'm angry because I was holding that person to too high of a standard. I had these expectations for them that they did not fulfill to a T, so I got angry at them. Maybe just my, my pride was hurt in that moment. There is a lot of wisdom in what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 5. He says, you need to get the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother's. Right? And oftentimes when we're angry, there's, it's really a log in our eye that we should realize. We don't see it. We don't see it. But there's this log in our eye, and that's the thing we're really angry about. Yeah, the person maybe shouldn't have said or done what they said, but that's a speck compared to this log of anger that comes out of your heart, that, that's shown in this. So I would say, if you realize in, in that moment, this is again being as practical as I can be, if you realize in that moment, okay, I'm, thank you God for helping me pause instead of uh, react in anger, okay, it turns out that I'm only angry because things aren't going my way, and what they did wasn't really bad, God's glory is not at stake. In that moment, it's probably a good idea to, to, to talk to God. Say, God, I got angry, and it was actually a sinful anger because it was all about me. Thank you for helping me to pause, but God, help me not to get angry about, about things that are just about me. Help me to be only angry about things that, that bother you. Tell God you're angry. He already knows it, by the way. It's all right. You may even in that moment, you know, need to apologize to the other person. Okay, you, you said this, but looking back, it wasn't that big of a deal. You know, maybe you can apologize to them. If it won't cause more harm than good— <laughs> I, I still remember a story. Um, I one time had a, a relationship with a guy that just over a course of months and months, he just kept on wronging me, and I was getting angry, and I was holding on to it, and I was getting bitter, and I was gossiping about him to a couple of my uh, friends, telling about this guy. And one day, God just hit me so hard. Jeff, what do you think you're doing? You have no right to do that. And so God hit me so hard, and the guy knew about it. The guy knew I was angry. Um, I'd made it pretty obvious. And uh, so I went to him one day and said, Hey, man, I I've been angry at you uh, over the past couple months. I've been bitter, and I've even told people about it. I am so sorry that I've done that. I apologize for it. 
and it was really good. Like, you know, I was so thankful uh, that he, he was forgiving of me, and he, he let it go, and our, our friendship in many ways was restored in that moment. I told one of my friends later, because I had set a bad example, I told one of my friends later, hey, um, I ended up having to apologize to him, but he, he praise God, he, he responded well and forgave me. The next thing I heard, the next time I hung out with that person, he said, hey, I went and apologized to him too uh, about things that he was annoying me about. He said he had no idea I was annoyed and stuff. It, it got kind of awkward. I was just like, oh my gosh. Just because I apologized for my anger did not mean you had to do it. If he didn't even know about it, if you hadn't been gossiping about it, maybe you didn't need to share it. Anyway, that was as practical as I can possibly get on the if it's helpful, apologize, but don't. Person doesn't have to know every time you're annoyed with them. Anyway, so that is if the anger is about you. But it is possible to be angry for the right reasons, right? We've already talked about this. Maybe there really was sin and evil that took place. Maybe there really was injustice, unfairness that took place. Maybe there really were other people even that got hurt. Maybe other people had been taken advantage of and hurt. Maybe God's glory really was maligned. Maybe uh, God, his name really was trampled by what this person did. Maybe your anger, the source of your anger was right. And so that means, okay, at this moment, at that point, it has not yet become sinful anger. Here's what you don't do, because we have more steps. You don't say, okay, it was, it, it's right anger, anger, righteous anger, godly anger, so now I'm going to go let them have it. That's not how it works. We got more steps, okay? <laughs> These are practical steps. Just because an actual sin took place doesn't mean we go tear them down, right? Because that then makes it sinful anger. It falls right back in that first category of sinful anger. It needs to be turned to redemptive. And so that's how we come to number three. First, we've said we pause, we find the source of our anger, and now number three, we turned contempt into compassion. We turned contempt for that person into compassion, pity for that person. Again, the reason God allows us to feel anger is for it to have a redemptive effect. But if we are now hating that person, we're, we're sinning there, and we're, we're wishing harm on them, we're wishing ill on them, and there's no redemptive effect in that. So what needs to happen is that our, our contempt and hatred be turned into compassion and pity. I see this in a few places in the Bible. Um, one is uh, Mark 3, 5. Mark 3, 5. I've got to give you a little bit of a background here. Um, Jesus uh, comes into the, the temple and the Pharisees are watching him. What's he going to do? They're, they want him to trip up, right? They want a reason to charge him. Uh, and and they, they've got this, this hardness of heart. They, they are uncaring people. Jesus sees a man with a withered hand, and he, he wants to heal that man's hand, and he, he realizes that, that the, the Pharisees don't want him to. The Pharisees say, it's the Sabbath. You can't heal a man's hand. That's, that's against the law, it was against their man-made laws. I don't think there was any uh, law against healings on the Sabbath, but they were, they were still angry about it because of their, their hardness of heart. And so the verse says this, He looked around at them, the Pharisees, He looked around at them with anger. So here we see Jesus, our Savior, our, our sinless one, looking at these Pharisees with anger. 
But the verse does not stop there. It goes on to say, Grieved at the hardness, at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. But you see that flow there. He looked at them with anger, then grieved at the hardness of their heart. He went ahead and healed the man's hand. Jesus saw these men. Jesus, by the way, is God. So when they're sinning, they are sinning directly against him. But rather than just looking at them with, with anger and, and hatred, he turned that to compassion and pity. He was grieved at their hardness of heart. Man, how could they get the law so wrong? How could they take God's principles and patterns and, and make it so hard-hearted? He was grieved by this. Another example we see is uh, Luke thirteen thirty-four. Jesus is, is thinking and grieving over the rebellion, the rebellion of Jerusalem because they're not accepting him. He says, uh, verse 34, Luke 13, 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you are not willing. Jesus is, is sad about the fact that, that Israel, that his people there in Jerusalem are rejecting him. He has every right to be angry that they're rebelling against him. He has every right to be angry that they kill the prophets and stone those who are sent to, uh, to share the good news with them. But instead of just hatred and just anger, it's turned to co compassion. How often I would have gathered you together. We see uh, this is a, a part of God's nature. Second um, Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness. That's talking about end times, pouring out his final wrath. But is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Again, the God of the universe is patient, not wanting people to perish in their sins. He wants them to come to repentance. If, if God is that way towards people, how much more should that be our attitude towards people who sin against us? We need our hearts turned to compassion. One more example, Romans 9, 1 through 3. Paul's talking about the Israelites who have been uh, rejecting him, rejecting the gospel, treating him badly. Uh, he's been, you know, stoned. He's been beaten and all these different things. He says this in uh, Romans 9, verse 1. I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bear, bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Again, talking about the Israelites. I have great grief and great sorrow. They're, they're treating me badly. They're stoning me. They're doing all these things. And yes, I'm angry about it, but it, that's turned to compassion. You know what? I could wish that even I could take hell for them so that they could have heaven, he says. That's how much compassion he had toward these people who were hating him. The Bible makes it clear, again, uh, Mike said it earlier, love even your enemies, bless those who curse you. Th this, is, this is crazy stuff. If we are to have any sort of redemptive effect in this situation, that this situation of injustice that aroused our anger, hatred is not going to be enough. 
anger is not going to be enough. We are going to need compassion. We're going to need pity for that person. We need to be grieved by the fact that, that yes, they sinned against us. Yes, they may have sinned against others, and they certainly sinned against God. But they're not only hurting us and other people, they're, they're hurting themselves. People walking in sin are not walking in joy. I've heard it said, and I, I just really appreciate it. That person who even committed that evil thing is not the enemy. They're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Sin, evil, is the enemy. We need to have compassion on them. They are slaves to their sin. Yes, it makes us angry, but that needs to be turned to compassion for their sake so that we can speak into it redemptively. And that's, that's our next point. It's been turned from, from this contempt to compassion. So now we need to figure out how to respond redemptively. That's number four, respond redemptively. It's time to, to figure out, okay, this thing has made me angry. It's supposed to have a, a redemptive aspect to it. So how am I going to respond in a way that, that builds up? How am I, I going to respond in a way that this is actually upbuilding rather than tearing down? You basically have two options at this point, okay? Two options. You can either let it go or confront the person in love. You can either let it go or confront the person in love. There are no other options. There is no confront the person in hate. There is no hold on to it, gossip about them, and grow bitter. You have two options. Let it go or confront the person in love. So it's possible that you should just let it go. Maybe you see that this is not a pattern in their life. That makes a big, big, big difference in how we talk to people about their sin. I slip up all the time, but by God's grace, I, I'm not walking in patterns of sin. If, if I am walking with you and I see you slip up, I, I'm not going to pounce on you. But if, if it's a pattern of sin, that, that's different. But maybe you see, okay, this is just the first time I've seen them do this. It's not a pattern yet. And maybe you even realize, you know, they're, they're under a ton of pressure right now. I, I heard the way his mom talked to him. I heard the way his boss talked to him. You know, I, I heard these things. And, and so that doesn't make it okay what they did, but it's somewhat more understandable. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll give him a break uh, th this time. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll wait for another time if it happens again. Maybe, and this one we need to be careful a little bit, I think. Maybe as we're, we're talking to God, praying, you know, dealing with this anger, maybe God's revealed to us, you know what? You just need to remain silent and let the Holy Spirit do the work. You just need to let it go. I say all those things uh, knowing that I need to be careful about this. Do not forego confronting someone for selfish reasons. Oftentimes it's an out that we take. That we see someone walking in patterns of sin, uh, doing things that are hurting us, hurting others, maligning God's name. And we say, ah, I'm just supposed to let it go. No, that's, that's not the biblical model. Uh, that, that is not the way we should do, do things. We do oftentimes need to confront a person. Matthew 18, 15 says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. 
So again, this isn't the first time you've seen them do it. This is a pattern of sin you see in their life. Uh, you know that, that your anger isn't just about you. It's, it's truly a sin that they committed, you know, not, not just uh, something that's annoying to you. And at this point, you're, you're no longer seething in anger, right? You've paused, you've, you've kind of reasoned, with, you, know, you know, talked to God about it. You've turned this contempt into compassion, and so now you can talk to them. Again, it says there, if, you know, if, he, if your brother sins against you, tell him his fault. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And the verses go on and on. There's a pattern that when we confront someone, we do it in love. We're speaking the truth in love for building up one another, not tearing people down. There is no excuse. It is sinful anger if we go to someone in hatred, in contempt, and tearing them down. But, again, we, we need to recognize, should, should I let it go? Is this actually sin? <laughs> Is this a pattern? I could get even more practical. I, I'm kind of running out of time, so I shouldn't. Finally, skipping my even more practical. Finally, number five, you give it to God. You give it to God. We're not holding on to it, right? We, we've paused instead of responding in our anger. We've, we've uh, looked at, is, it, is this about me or is this about God? We've said, you know, uh, okay, I'm going to turn this into to compassion and pity rather than just hatred for them. And then we've either let it go or confronted them. We, we, we've dealt with all these things. Anger has run its course. It has served its purpose. It is time to let it go. You say, well, it still hurts. I, I know. Ca cast that on God. That that's why you, you got to give it to God. Give it to God. Again, uh, Paul, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what we need. That's what we need to let go of this hurt. That's what we need to have this peace. We need to give it to God. God, it hurt what they did. I don't like the way that they talked about you. I don't like the way they went against your commands. I don't like the way they treated me. It hurt, but God, I give it to you. So, I would say this. No matter what course of action you had to take, you may have had to let it go. You may have confronted them. No matter how the other person responded, even if they did not repent, even if they did not apologize, no matter how it went, you still must give it to God or it is sinful anger. We see in uh, 1 Peter 4.19 that even to our worst enemy, someone going against us, it says that those who suffer according to, who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. We say, it hurt, I don't like what they did, but you know what, I'm just going to entrust my soul to God, and I'm going to continue doing good. I'm not going to act out of anger, I'm not going to hold on to it, I'm not going to let bitterness grow. And we know, by God's word, that, that one day, all accounts will be settled, right? You're not letting that person off the hook. 
There is no such thing as letting a person off the hook in God's books. Because either that person's sin will be paid for on the cross because they've trusted in Jesus Christ. He's given them the same forgiveness he's given you. That sin was really, really paid for by our Savior. And if they don't ever trust in Christ, if they don't repent, they will pay for that sin for eternity in hell. And God will divvy out justice at the perfect level, the perfect amount that that offense deserves. He is much more just a judge than you and me, I promise. God will settle all accounts, and so we can give it to God. God, I'm not going to let what this person did to me tear me down. I'm not going to let it tear apart my relationships. I'm not going to let it tear my heart up. I'm not going to let it harden my heart towards people. I'm going to continue in love because I have you, my Savior, my judge. I'm going to trust you. We keep no record of wrongs. That's especially difficult uh, with our close relationships. We give it to God. That's how we keep no record of wrongs. I need to close, but I'm going to give you, you know, just a final summary here. We can be angry and not sin. There's a sinful anger that's all about us. There's a sinful anger that, that tears down. There's a sinful anger that holds on to it and grows bitter. But there is a good anger. An anger that is about God, that build, that's used to build up, and that lets it go to God once it's run its course, once it's had its proper effect. And we can use these practical things. We pause, find the source, turn contempt into compassion, find a way to respond redemptively, then give it to God. We can walk in peace. We can walk in unity by these things. God's word is, is very clear on this matter. I know I have not touched every exception and every facet of anger, but I hope this is a broad enough brush to, to hit all of our lives and our relationships in one way or another. So as we come to this communion table that is reserved for the fellowship of believers, you don't have to be a member here, but you have to be a Christian in order to partake, please. But let's use this time as we're passing it out and as we're thinking to, to talk to God. I, I know I've still got things to talk to God about. I have been as I've been preparing this sermon. We need to say, God, I have sinful anger at times. I'm angry about the wrong things. I handle my anger wrongly. God, I don't want to do that anymore. God, help me to have right anger. Anger is going to happen. It's a, an emotional and a physical response, but God, help me to handle it correctly. And when I shouldn't even be angry at it in the first place, help me to just give that to you and grow in humility in that moment. So these are things we can be praying for. And if you have had anger festering in your heart, bitterness, the roots growing down deep, now is the time to give that to God. It, it probably won't happen in a moment that, boom, all bitterness is gone. But please, please, please start the process now because it will tear you and us apart. Let's pray. Father God, we admit that we are often angry with sin. We go against your command. We go against this new way of living that comes with this new life you've given us as Christians. God, we're angry oftentimes because it goes against our pride or our desires. God, help us to be angry about the things that make you angry. 
God, help us to check ourselves and say, would this make God angry what happened here? Or is it just me and my pride and my desires? And God, would you help us when we feel anger to channel it, to use it for its redemptive purpose that you've given it, God? Let us use our anger to turn to compassion for people and to be used for redemptive good. God, when we must exhort people, when we must uh, call them out on their sin, let us do it only in love because that anger has spurred us to see the problem and, and have compassion and pity on the person, Lord. And God, after it's all said and done, even if it's not completely resolved, Lord, help us to give you our anger. Help us to recognize it's not our place, it's not our responsibility, it's not even our right to hold on to our anger, but it is our responsibility to give it to you, to receive that peace that surpasses all understanding, God. That is what we are to do, and we can do all of this, not out of our own power, not out of our own goodness, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, paying for our sins, rising from the dead, and giving us that resurrection life. We have new life, Lord. Help us to walk in it as we deal with our anger. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.